morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're in week number one of a brand new series called Small Things, Big Difference. As I look at my life, I kind of have this feeling this morning that I want to break it down into a pie chart. Um, As we think about things, sometimes they fit neatly into uh, illustrations. And so think for me just a moment about pie charts. Um, Not cherry pie charts. That's what I want to think about. Just pie charts in general. (laughs) And here are some areas of my life. When I break it down, I have my work. And involved in my work, if I were to make it, it would be kind of a large slice. I mean, it involves my task for work. It involves my thoughts that I have about my work, conversations about work, all of those things. It's a large area. And as I think about my life, then I have this other section called free time. And although it is not as large... It still involves all of my tasks related to free time, all of my thoughts that I have about free time, all of my conversations about free time. I have another area in my life with my family. And so I've got tasks and I've got thoughts about family. I've got conversations with family that all involves. And then there's this other important section of my life, and I'm going to call it sleep because generally during that section, that's when I sleep. And it's important to me because I know for me, when I look at my phone and I hit my alarm and it tells me how many hours until that alarm goes off, if once it drops under eight and I hit the seven hours and 50 minutes or seven and a half, I start getting stressed because I understand I need my eight hours. I need, and so it, and so that's an important section. And so maybe we say, what would that look like if we were to put our lives into a pie chart? What would that look like? And then I've got this other area that I haven't mentioned yet. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we just kind of add things on, don't we? So let me tell you this other area. It's my life with Christ. You know, my life with Christ, which involves my task, my thoughts about Christ and, and my prayers and, and it's my conversations even about my life with Christ, some of them with God, some of them with other people. We have that area. And sometimes that area just kind of gets tacked on to the rest of our life. So let me ask you a question. Let's move beyond pie charts and let's move, let's move to this over here. And instead of just talking about me, let's talk about you. What, what does this reveal for your life? So let's use the scale here very quickly. So I've got a scale, and let's, um, let's, let's use it. So let's put in, you know, we've got a work life. So we're going to be bean counters today. So let's put in a load of beans into our work. So we've got our work, and obviously, automatically, it's going to tilt the scale so we got our work. Um, let's say, let's put a good scoop in here for family. So we've got our family time, and there that goes in there. Um, let's say we got free time, and let's put a, another good scoop. I mean, because we value free time, don't we? The things that we, we finally, we make it to the weekend, and so we usually have a day or two that we get to choose some things, rest, relax, have fun. We've got our weekend. Some of our weekend escaped. I'm going to put it back in. Um, we kind of want to lose that, do we? Really? I want to put in some more weekend. Um, so, and one more. Um, oh, missed that one. So I'm going to put in two. Um, let's see, weekend. Oh, sleep. We got to have some sleep. We'll put in a little sleep. There we go. So there we go. And have we pretty much have covered everything, right? Family. I got family in there. Um, yeah, that's pretty much. Oh, wait, we forgot. Um, what did we forget? 
Oh, we did, didn't we? Absolutely we did. And that's kind of usually what happens, isn't it? We kind of forget that, don't we? Um, so let's put in a good... Even if we put in a big scoop for God, because I, I, I would feel guilty if I didn't put in a big scoop for God. He, but even if I do put in a great big scoop over here, um, it still wouldn't... It didn't tip the scale, did it? I mean, we've got him lifted high. Aren't we supposed to lift him high and magnify? Yeah, well, that's usually what ends up happening. We usually put all this effort into our life, into living our life. And we would say with our mouth, we would say, you know what? I believe that Jesus should be the center of our lives. I believe he should be the center of my life. I believe that. But then as we look at our life, is that really, I mean, what, what is the most important? And we would say Jesus is the most important, and he should be. We would say, yes, he's the most important, and he should be the most important. But do we live that? Hmm. Well, you know, this phrase has been floating around my head for decades and the phrase goes like this, to believe and not do is to not really believe. To say that I believe something and not do, for it's not to change me or change my life, is to not really yet believe. Jesus puts it this way. He says the same thing, basically. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, so why now? Why, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why? That stings, doesn't it? For Jesus to ask us that question, well, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and not do the things that I say? Because really, to believe and not do is to not yet really believe. You see, Jesus is expecting that he's going to really be the center of our lives, permeate everything in our lives how do we know this? Well, because he, he said that. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. This is going to sting too. Listen, listen to this one. Verse 37 of Matthew 10. If you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're, you're not worthy of being mine. Verse 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Verse 39, if you cling, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up, you give up your life for me, he says, you're going to find your life. That stings, doesn't it? It does me. It stings. Or if you're at the dentist office, he's going to say, you're going to feel some pressure. <laughs> that verse gives me some pressure. You know, 
Paul, this guy Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. He was an apostle of Jesus and um, given the charge really of, of, of starting churches and reaching uh, folks who were not Jewish. And so that was a large part of what Paul did. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, a lot of those were in the form of letters that he wrote to churches that he had started um, but this is interesting to me because nowhere in the New Testament, as Paul is writing, and I believe we get these letters, and it's part of the Bible because I believe the Holy Spirit really told him what to say, and Paul wrote it down. And so I believe that is from God. It's, you know, and so I find it interesting that in the New Testament, in these writings of Paul, writing down what the Holy Spirit told him to write, that he never he never talked about salvation and equated that with a life that was not transformed not changed do you find that interesting that nowhere in the new testament as paul describes salvation is it ever applied to a life that just goes on as normal as usual. Instead, salvation, as Paul describes it, is always attached to a life that is being transformed, that is being permeated by Jesus. So let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through the writings of Paul as he writes this letter that we're going to look at, a letter written to a church in, this, in the town of Philippi. And then they call it the letter to the Philippians. And in this, we're going to see some small things that make a big, big difference. This place called Philippi was not, you know, it was a city, but it was not a city of Rome. Actually, the title of it, it was a colony of Rome. And to give you an idea of what a colony, a colony had a lot of privileges, it doesn't sound very important, but being a colony was a big deal. Whereas, you know, Jerusalem during this time of Jesus was also ruled by Rome. It was under their authority. But Jerusalem, oh, it was no colony at all. It was ruled by Rome. On the other hand, Philippi was a colony. And it means everyone who was a citizen of Philippi were treated as if they were citizens of Rome, which was a big, big, big deal in that day. Now, Philippi was not physically connected to the country of Rome. They weren't right there and part of it. They were a, a ways off, but yet they were treated as if they were part of Rome, as if they were there. It was a big deal. So it, there was a lot of hoity-toity, big deal stuff going on in Philippi because they were considered citizens of Rome. So it's this small colony. And from this small colony, we're going to see some big difference that takes place in the lives of the people. Um, this also, Paul was there for a very small amount of time. As best we can tell, Paul was only there to start the church for about two, about two and a half months. Now, just put that in perspective, because we have been starting Stuttgart Harvest Church for now five years. And Paul was only here 
for two and a half months, a very small amount of time. But you will see an enormous difference. An enormous big change was made in just that small time. Paul was there in about A.D. 50, which means Jesus died somewhere around A.D. 30, 33, right in there. So it's about 20 years after Jesus died, Paul shows up. And this is the first church in Europe. The first church outside of Asia, the first church in Europe, this is it. And Paul started at about 50 A.D. Now, he also started with a small group of believers. There were not many, very small. Um, and most of, them, most of them were women, a small group. So you will see big change from a very small group. Um, and when, now 10 years later, after he leaves Philippi, after he started the church, he now sits down to write this letter called the letter to the Philippians. And it's a very small book in the Bible. It's only four chapters long, four small chapters, but you are going to see a very big change, a big difference. And as Paul left and was checking up with this church in Philippi, Paul was seeing a big difference in these people. I mean, their lives were changing. Their church was growing. People were being transformed. And Paul now gives us a glimpse, a glance at what it could look like if God is really changing, transforming your life. And he's going to do that in chapter 1. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to look at chapter 2, then chapter 3, and then chapter 4. And we're going to look at some of the small steps, some of the small things that you can do in your life to bring about some of this big change. But first, in chapter 1, we're going to look at what that big change can look like in your life and my life. What a difference that small things can make. So let's jump in and see what Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 9. He says, I pray that your love will overflow. So he's saying more because it's already overflowing. He has seen what it has been doing. He's saying, it's happening. I pray it's going to happen more and more and more and more and more. It's just going to keep happening. And he says, overflowing to the point where you can't stop it. I mean, it just happens. You didn't cause it to happen. It's just overflowing. And there's more and more and more. That's going to happen with a transformed, a changed life. The love of Jesus just overflows out of your life and you can't stop it. And then he says, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. He's saying, I, 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 this transformed life, I pray that you're going to keep growing and you're going to understand God more. And he's not talking about understand more information about God, more facts about God, more details about God. No, no. He's saying, I want you to know him, to understand him like a child understands a father, like, like a daughter understands her dad, like... like um, like you understand a friend, he said, that's how I want you to know him, to understand him more and more as you keep growing. Verse 10, for I want you to understand what really matters. You see, he says, some people think they understand what really matters and they put all their beans in it right here. 
But he's saying, no, I, I want you to understand what really matters. And, and it may not be what really matters to you at the moment, but it re- I want you to understand what really matters to God. I want you to understand what really matters. And then he says, why? So you will live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. You know, we tend to, as we read that, we tend to just kind of really focus. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives. And we say, that's, that's what it is. And then we kind of trail off at the end until the day of Christ's return. But that's not accurate. Because that phrase may end this sentence, but it doesn't mean it's the least important phrase in that paragraph. Because I want you to understand that the day of Christ's return is what really matters to God. Do you understand that that phrase is the culmination, the apex, the climax, the peak of everything, everything that God has been doing since the first day of creation. It all leads to that moment. Everything he has been doing leads to that moment. It says, I, I want you to understand what really, really matters. This, this future of Christ's return. This is out there in the future. I know it's the future. It, it was a future for them, these folks in Philippi. As he was writing to the Philippians, it's their future. But guess what? That, it's still 2,000 years later, it's our future. But because it didn't happen then, and because it didn't happen last night, and because we don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, we tend to forget about that future. But yet, that is the culminating event on God's calendar from all of creation to now. That matters. He says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live a blameless life until this day of Christ's return. That's what he's saying. He says it really matters. Jesus is coming back for you, if you're a believer, for you. And the Bible calls this as part of the church. The church, you as a believer, part of the church. He's coming back for the church. And we all get so busy making a life for ourselves that we forget what really, what really matters. Because we're so busy living our lives, making a life for ourselves. And Paul is saying, listen guys, listen, listen. I want you to live today. Understand today what is really important. Understand what really matters to God Understand that today and live that. What really matters to God, live that. So what is that? What is it that really matters to God? I can't say that I know everything that really matters to God at all. I can't. But I do know this matters. God longs for the day that you 
will be present with him. He longs for that day. As, as if Paul is saying, live that right now. That life that you have coming up in the future when you will be with Christ forever, that future, live that relationship right now in the present. Live that future relationship right now in the present. That future relationship with Jesus, your eternal relationship with Jesus. Live that, Paul is saying, live that today. Live it right now in the present at this moment. He said, understand what matters to God and live that right now so that you will be ready when Christ does come back. Then he says in verse 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Now this makes me nervous because then I start looking at my life and I start thinking, oh my, my goodness, yes, there should be fruit. I believe that. Yes, and then I start thinking, I, I need to do better. I, I mean, I need to do better. I need to do more things. I, I need to be better. I need to say better things. I need to think better thoughts. I need to be better because I need this fruit of my salvation. I need to be better. I need to do better. I need to say better. And I start getting anxious. I think I, I've got to do more. I've got to say more, do more, be more. I, I need to be more. I need more fruit in my salvation. Yes, I need to do more. But here's the thing. That's not what Paul's talking about. Because you can never be more, do more, say more, enough. There's something more there. It's You see, because your salvation is not because of you, and it's not through you, and it's not by you. It's through Jesus. And because of that, there will be fruit. If, if you're a believer, there will be fruit. There will be. God is here. It's as if he's saying, I expect it. It's not just something that's a byproduct. It will happen. I expect it. There will be fruit. There will be change. There will be a visible difference in your life. It's like a before and after picture. There will be a before and there will be an after. A definite change. And it's not a one-time thing. I mean, there will be a, diff- a before and after every day. A change. Something transforming. Small changes over the course of time. Every day. Before and after. Before and after. Before and after. It doesn't stop. Jesus said, there will be, I expect it, it's going to happen. You're a believer, there will be transformation, there will be change, it will be visible. But, you know, we have this thing, I I don't even know what word to use to describe it. I don't like how I'm describing it here, but I just, I don't have a better way to describe it. We have this thing called American Christianity. And the description is inadequate, so let me describe to you what I'm talking about. This American Christianity that seems to be just this head thing. This thing that says, I believe that this is true. I believe that this is is, is true. I, I, I believe that. It's not 
a transformation thing. It seems to be just a head thing. And from what I see in Scripture, that's, that's not salvation as the Bible describes it. You see, we say with this American Christianity, oh, oh, yes, I believe that, Harley. What you're saying, I believe. Yes, I believe it. Christ should be the main thing. He should be the, yes, I believe that. And then we ask the question, oh, good. So, so how has it changed you? How has it transformed you? How are you different? And we think, oh, yeah, there's a big difference. Let me just tell you about it. It's a huge, big, yeah, it's big difference. And we have no difference. It's something we say we believe. But you know, I guess a better word for that is we are acknowledging that it is true. It's just an acknowledgement of truth. It is not your truth. We say that it's true, but it's not our truth. Because to believe and not do is to not yet believe. How do we know this? Okay, here comes some more pressure. Might need to draw your feet up under your chair a little bit. Because the New Testament describes it this way. The demons believe. You can probably finish that for me. And what? The demons believe and tremble. That's what the New Testament says. The demons believe. It's not something that happens here. Because the demons believe. The demons acknowledge that it is true. They acknowledge that it is a truth. But they have never submitted to, surrendered to the truth. They just acknowledge it is true. It's not their truth. They just acknowledge that it's true. That stings. And once again, in all of Paul's letters, for him, there is no salvation that does not include the fruit of a transformed life. The fruit of your life because you are saved. Fruit because you're saved. What is that fruit? Paul goes on to describe it with this verse. He says, it's the righteous character produced in your life. The righteous character produced in your life. And that's where I start saying, oh my goodness, yes. See, I do need to do better and say better and think better and be better. I do need to be better because I need this. If this is what it takes, if this is what it, I need that. So I need to do better and be better. But that's not what Paul is saying. 
not what he's saying. This righteous character, yes, that is the transformed life. That means the character of Jesus, his character, becomes your character. The way Jesus, God, sees the world begins to be the way you see the world. The way Jesus and God thinks begins to be the way you think. His character becomes your character And we feel such pressure to produce that. But here's what Paul says. This righteous character produced in you, not by you. Because I cannot produce the character of Christ. Oh, I can be better for a little while. I can make a few changes and be better. But as soon as I let go of the steering wheel of my life for just a moment, I go right back to the crap that I was in. This is produced in you you not by you it's produced in your life by by who it says jesus christ go back to that verse for a moment it's verse the uh, verse 19 it says the righteous character produced in your life by jesus christ by him it's not something we produce It's something he produces in us, this righteous character of Christ, this overflowing, his love overflowing in your life. He produces it, not us. The difference that we're talking about, the big difference, it's him. He does it. He makes it happen. He produces it. It's not me changing myself so that I can earn this. It's not me doing it. It's a result of salvation, living a life surrendered to Jesus, surrendered to Him moment by moment, and then He does the work. I just surrender to Him moment by moment, and He does the work of changing me. Then He says in verse 20, For I fully expect, and I hope that I, and it's not a hope that says, oh, I hope so. It's a hope that says, this is going to happen in the future. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ. And as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Now we get to the heart of everything. We get to the heart of what Paul is describing here with a transformed life. It is Paul's utter devotion to Christ. His desire for Christ to be magnified and Christ alone in his life. How Christ is present in every circumstance, no matter how bad the circumstance might be, that Christ is present in that moment with Him. And I know for us, in this year, 2015, if we are to be what Christ wants us to be, that phrase is going to have to describe us as well, that Jesus is our passion that we are utterly devoted to jesus listen to verse 21 here's what it all boils down to this phrase for me paul says 
Living means living for Christ. Living means living for Christ. Wow. What an intense, single focus for his life. He says this one thing, this one thing I'm doing, I'm living for Christ. I'm living for Christ. I, I mean, every single thing. It, my, Paul is saying, my life doesn't look like this. No, it's not perfect. We go on, we, we see that in other, in other books and other places. No, it's not perfect. But he says, when you take a piece of my life, let's pull out a bean here. You take the beans of my life, he says, every single one is permeated with Jesus. I don't have a dichotomy that says this is the life I'm living and then I'm going to go to church. He says, everything about me, everything about me is right here. Jesus is every bit inside of every bit of me. I'm utterly devoted to him. For me, he says, to live is Christ. He says, when you take any piece of my life, you're going to find Jesus all up in it. For me to live is Christ. And then he says, and dying, it's even better. For him to say that dying is better, he has to say first that living for me to live is Christ. Or he can't say dying is better. Because Paul, for us, you know what this, for dying is better, we see that. You know what we think of most often? We think, yeah, it is, because it gets me out of this mess. Yeah, dying's better. I would rather be there because it gets me out of this life, these troubles, these problems. And I have been there too. I have been there in those moments where I said, I want out. I want death. I want out of the problems of this life, out of the trouble and the struggle and the hurt and the pain. I want out. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying he wants an escape. He's saying for me, it's better. It's better because that's where I, that's God who I have been utterly devoted to, passionately following no matter what circumstance I have faced. That's the person, the God I have been serving and devoted to. I call him friend and I call him savior. That is him. And for me, dying is even better. Paul's not trying to escape. He's saying that's better. Then he says in verse 22, but if I live, he says, if I live, if I stay here, I, I can continue to do more fruitful work for Christ. So he says, I, I don't know what's better. Verse 23, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. This is the result of Paul's life. Even though he throws himself with abandon into this present life that he is living, this day that he's living, he throws himself into the day, into the here and now. The entire direction of his life, the entire orientation of his life, his whole direction is absolutely his certain future with Christ. He's living now. He's serving now as he's writing this. 
he's, he's introducing others to Jesus and this same transformation that he has experienced, he has seen in them. He's living in the now, but everything in the now, in the today, is directed by his coming eternity with Jesus. Everything he's doing now is directed by what's coming in the future. And this is the result. This big difference, the small things in his life, and he is now seeing that in the lives of these Philippians that he's writing to. The same thing. The small thing that's making a huge difference. And now that is what the Holy Spirit wrote to them in the book of Philippians. And that's what he's saying to us today at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Our personal progress in this life and also the progress of introducing other people to Jesus, reaching out to those around us, is contingent upon this statement describing our lives just as it described the life of Paul. The statement is this, for me, living is Christ. And dying, well, that's even better. Living is Christ. But here's our problem. We have this strong tendency to say and agree with that phrase. Yes, living is Christ. That's true. That is a true statement. I agree with that statement. But then we actually live something else. What would Stuttgart and our surrounding counties actually look like in this post-modern world if we began to actually be described as people of that one passion? For me, to live as Christ, but so often we add to it. Yes, I agree with that. For me to live as Christ, plus work and free time, accumulating some play toys, getting a satisfying relationship, now that's life. And If the truth were, be, were to be known, we most frequently would go with the plus side and say, yes, I really live this. My work, my free time, my sleep time, my play time, my relationships... For me, that is living. But yet our personal fulfillment in life, our joy, our happiness, our feeling of being complete is directly related to us having Christ as our primary singular passion. Because when we live it for all this other stuff, it never gets full it's always leaving us empty. And the only way for our lives to overflow and be full is if Christ becomes our utter devotion. But for most of us, the phrase to die is gain is only because it's an escape from the problems, many of which we've created by living life for ourselves. And in a country that has lost its way, we tend to get lost alongside of them. And we're the ones who have the single word of hope that can change the lives of people around us. For believers, we have a security in our salvation in Christ because we find ourselves 
utterly devoted to Him, or we find ourselves busy living to please ourselves and we forget our single purpose on this earth is to live Christ in such a way that everyone around us gets thirsty for Jesus. What was for Paul his everything, his yearning for us, well, it becomes, well, I can go to church sometimes, or I go to church a lot, or I go to church. But Paul was saying, that's not true of you Philippians. You're doing this differently. You're being transformed. You're, you're seeing your everyday normal life. You're seeing that through the lens of eternity. And, and Paul is saying for you, like me, he says, living is Christ. He is my all. He gives me purpose, perspective in this world gone mad. For me, living is Christ. This morning, we encourage you to live your future with Christ in the present, right now. Live your future with Jesus, your future relationship with Jesus, your future eternity with Jesus. Live that in the present. Live that relationship right now, every day, moment by moment. That is a transformed life. Live your future with Christ in the present right now. We're going to talk through this series about some small things that you can do that will make a big difference in your life. It was for them in the Philippian church. It will be for us. We're going to ask you to join us as we journey through this book on this series. I ask you to do three things. Here's the first. Will you be a part of this series each week? As we look at these small things that can make that life happen for you, that transformed, that changed life, will you do that? Will you journey with us? Here's the second thing. Will you make a commitment to have God as your single focus during this series? Here's what we're going to encourage you to do to help this along. Will you read Philippians chapter 1 this, this week? Don't worry about chapter 2, 3, or 4. We'll cover those on another week. Will you read this week Philippians chapter 1? And don't just sit down and read the whole thing. Will you take one paragraph a, a day, just one paragraph? Work your way all the way through the book, just one paragraph at a time. And when you read that paragraph, will you ask God, will you ask God's Spirit, will you say, is there something in this passage, in this verse that you want from me today? Or is there something in this passage that you want in me today? And then just simply write that down. And that day, will you live that one paragraph out of Philippians chapter one and just read it and just say, God, is there something in this that you want from me today? Or is there something in this that you want in me today and live 
that one thing? Will you begin this process with this small step, a small paragraph, a small step, and a commitment that says, God, what do you want from me, or do you want something in me from this paragraph? And then just live that, that day. Will you join us on this journey? And if you will, listen to what Paul says in verse 27. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. This is the result of all of this. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come or I see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you're standing side by side, fighting the fight together for the faith, which is the good news. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle, he says, together. Will you join us on this journey? Let's pray. God, you tell us that above all, this is a result that we will live as citizens of heaven, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of good news. And God, these are not things that we produce, but God, these are things that you produce in us. And we are so grateful because our good God is not good enough. If we will simply submit and surrender to you moment by moment, you do the transforming. We just become utterly committed, devoted, passionate about you. God, when we do that, you set us free. We change from these chained lives to lives that have been changed and set free. And we're so thankful. Thankful for you, Jesus, our transformer. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.